Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek. A new customer, my mom, had a great experience with SeatGeek. I'll talk about that another time. It was a good one, though. Uh, don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and our promo code BS and SeatGeek sends you 20 bucks upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by NatureBox, and not just because my wife has been a NatureBox customer since 2014. That's right, I worked my mom and my wife into these openings. Uh, choose from over 100 snacks, go healthy, go indulgent, snack away. They couldn't make it easier for you with their smart box guarantee. If you get a snack you don't like, they replace it in your next box for free. Visit naturebox.com BS and get 50% off your first box. Again, approved by my wife. Let's go. Yeah. Clear enough for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. What's happening? Welcome to the BS Podcast. It is Wednesday. I think it's February 17th. What day is it, Tate? February 17th? February 17th. Oh, Tate using his mic. Good job. Uh, <laughs> we have Robert Smigel, who uh, has this great special uh, about Triumph on Hulu, and we have my buddy Jacko coming up later. Um, first, I want to talk about, we had an announcement today. We announced the new content website, theringer.com, which I've been planning with a, a bunch of my old Grantland colleagues and a couple of other people um, for the last few months. And actually, I guess the story goes back to last May. I stopped working for ESPN um, second week of May after 14 years. That's a story for another time. And that story will be told. Uh, since then, I signed with HBO. I started planning my own television show for them and had to figure out what that TV show was, which I think I'm pretty close to having had figured out uh, and who I wanted to work with on that side. I also started in innovating with them uh, on the HBO Now side and on the non-scripted side. So that's been great, and they've been awesome to deal with, and I hope the show that we end up with ends up half as good as, as they've been to deal with. They're, they're awesome. They're as good as advertised. Um, but that, that wasn't the only thing I was doing. Um, over the course of the last nine months, I created my own media company, um, which is complicated. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know, a lot of stuff I learned. I had been researching it really since... Uh, September 2014, after I got suspended by ESPN, I realized that uh, I could not stay there in all probability and that I had to figure out what I wanted to do next with my life. So uh, I, I had been talking to dozens of people um, in the business, people who invest in stuff, all kinds of things, just trying to figure out what the landscape was and trying to figure out the best way you know, to fund a company like that the best way to do it, how you would structure it, how you would roll things out and things like that. I started, uh, I, I, I knew that I wanted to do a website, but I wasn't necessarily, necessarily sure I was going to do it because the reality is the the HBO show is so important um, for a variety of reasons. It just can't fail and it's going to take up a huge chunk of my time. And I just didn't want to do a website unless I knew I had people that I trusted 100%. So in October, I ended up hiring um, four people that I loved working with at Grantland. Sean Fennessy, who's going to be the editor-in-chief of this new website. Uh, Chris Ryan, who's his right-hand man, who you've heard on the Channel 33 a few times, who's a really creative guy. And, and the two of those guys were really the two of the people that I had gravitated toward during the last couple of years at Grantland creatively in a lot of different ways. And then uh, Mallory Rubin, who worked at Grantland for us the last two years, she's going to be a deputy editor. And Juliet Lippman, who originally was working at McSweeney's, and we started doing the quarterlies with her, and we loved working with her. We ended up hiring her. And She's another one who's great to work with and also really good on podcasts uh, as, a, as a side project. But it was those four people that uh, in October, it just seemed like it was time to get going. And I had the uh, resources to hire four people, and those were the first four. And we spent the next, 
I don't know, next few months trying to figure out things like name, a name for the website, where this website would be located, what it would be about, uh, and all these different things. And at the same time, um, I started building a podcast network that includes this podcast. I had to figure out how to do this podcast. These are things I did not know how to do. Uh, that was the month of September, basically. How am I going to do this podcast? Where is it going to? Where is it going to be? What kind of equipment am I going to have? Uh, and all this stuff happens really fast. Like all of a sudden, in the beginning of October, I'm here. I'm I'm doing four podcasts in a week. We're just getting it out into the world. Tate's working for me all of a sudden. Um, who I just met a few weeks ago. Who's only I think 22. And uh, so we had to do that whole thing. How, where's it going to be? Is it going to be on iTunes? Yep, it's going to be on iTunes. It's going to be in SoundCloud. Who's going to sell it? Had to figure out all that stuff. Um, had to figure out, all right, if I launch a company, how are people going to have health benefits? How are people going to, are they going to have a 401k? You know, it's just a lot of stuff. And that's why, like, I haven't written anything really since last May, I think the last column I wrote was about Tim Duncan. I did the Obama thing for GQ, but that was mostly a transcript. But all this stuff um, is a full-time job and then some, and it's overwhelming. And on top of it, you know, it, it, it was really hard those first couple months, uh, you know, after I left ESPN, just because, you know, I'd spent five years of my life planning that old site and, and hiring everybody for it. And, you know, and it became part of my life to go to that office, to see everybody. You know, I, I think we were an exceptionally close website in a lot of ways. And then all of a sudden it just ends. And, you know, that's a hard thing to deal with too, because I, I would compare it to probably what it's like for somebody to get traded from a team or to have a TV show get canceled or to have a movie finish filming. Um, it's impossible to explain how hard it is until you've been through it. And it was just weird to know that all these people that I cared about were working at, at this office that was, you know, 15 minutes away from my house and, and that was it. And I wasn't part of it anymore. So, you know, it was, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy few months. One of the best things I did, I hired uh, Eric Weinberger from the Net NFL Network who's fantastic to work with me as the, as the president of this new thing that we're building. And then we hired uh, somebody named Jeffrey Chow to be the COO. And they've been able to handle a lot of this stuff. They're great to work with. They're creative guys uh, trying to figure out how to build this out because it's impossible to do everything. And, you know, you need good people around you. That's the one, that's the best thing I learned at Grantland was, is that um, you're as good as the people around you and that's it. You just are. You're, you're, you are the sum of everyone else's parts, which is what we've tried to um, recreate with everything we're doing. So um, just speaking about the website quickly, we, don't wanna, we didn't want to create a 2.0 version of Grantland. I think we have too much respect for, for what that site was and what that site meant to all of us. And I don't, I don't think it's a good idea just in general to run an idea back. I think the site has to be a little different, a little more modern. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that down the road, but it's not going to be the same site. I, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be a better site, but we want it to be just as good and we want it to feel different than the old site was. So there'll be more details on that to come, but uh, we want to find original voices we want to find people who can spitball and collaborate with, with editors and writers. And we, we want to hire good people. Like, you know, we, we had a no asshole rule at Greatland. We, we didn't want to hire people that were difficult or mean spirited or, um, you know, there, there was a certain type of person we gravitated to. And I think that's, it's fair to say we're going to do that again. Um, mid, I guess, late October, November, December, January, we were working out of this, uh, temp house that we rented in Beechwood Canyon that was basically month by month uh it was pretty interesting there was a lot of days you know I wasn't there all the time it was the four of them um just kind of pointing out what the site would look like and what kind of writers we'd want to have and um a game plan for everything and uh you know 
I think the hardest thing was figuring out the name. It's really hard to name stuff. What you realize is that a lot of the good names are already taken. A name that you might like, you can't trademark. It's 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 just unbelievably complicated. And you you naturally hate every name until you hear it a hundred times. Like I I hated Grantland. And I made the mistake of actually saying that <laughs> before we launched, but uh, I really disliked it. I, I didn't, it just sounded too artsy fartsy to me. And within a year, I, I ended up really liking the name because it sounded like a place you would go. It was like, I'm going to Grantland. It sounded like a destination. Uh, we ended up on the ringer for, for uh, a couple of very easy reasons. One was that it's an easy name to remember and it's an easy name to spell, which is really the two staples you want from a website. Um, there are a couple other reasons that with that we liked it, but just in general, it sounded like we, Chris Ryan always had this joke that uh, whenever we said a website name, that he was going to see Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino and he was telling that person's assistant, I'm here to see blank. And that's how we would try to figure out if the website name works. So like one name that I, I think I bought, I might've even been drunk. I bought the URL for binge mode and, uh, and the, and the other four thought that was hysterical that I bought that URL and it's an embarrassing URL. I don't know why I bought it. I, I don't know what happened. I lost my mind for two minutes, but, um, so Chris was like, I'm here. Uh, um, my name is Chris Ryan. I'm ser- I'm here to see Mr. Tarantino. I'm from binge mode. And you just know it's a bad name. Um, so eventually we, we just all kind of like the ringer and it made sense that somebody would be like, yeah, I'm here to see Mr. Belichick. I'm Bill Simmons from the ringer. And we just, that became the name. Uh, yes, we know it was a Johnny Knoxville movie from 2005. That was actually the biggest drawback to the name. And then we realized that probably even Johnny Knoxville has forgotten he was in that movie. So I think we're good on that front. So, uh, if you go to the ringer.com, you can see a splash page with our logo. You can see our contact info. You can see a form to sign up for the ringers newsletter. We're going to release this newsletter, I think up to three times a week, starting in mid March. And you know, it's not going to be a website jammed in a newsletter. It's, we don't want to flood your email box with 7,000 words of text. We, you know, it, it's a way we're going to have, we're, we have write, writers that we've already hired. We have people that are creative and we're not going to have a site for a few months. So we wanted a place that people could go and, uh, and, and read, you know, quicker takes and lists and fun stuff. And, you know, if, uh, if something crazy happens and then the, the NBA lottery, I'm going to need a place to write. So I think, uh, I think it'll be a fun short-term alternative until we actually have a site. So I, I don't want to give too much away, but so far we've hired eight more former Grantlanders on top of the four I already had, uh, or we already had, I should say. Craig Gaines, Brian Curtis, Ryan O'Hanlon, Riley McAtee, Danny Chow, Joe Fuentes, Tate Frazier, who's just chimed in earlier. Uh, and then we had um, Andy Greenwald is on the Channel 33 side. And then we hired Amanda Dobbins to run our culture side, and we have a lot more people to hire and probably a few names from the past that you may or may not recognize. I think we have a chance to do something really cool. Um, I think one thing that's a really fun wrinkle for all of us is the fact that my show and all the people we're going to hire for that show and everybody we're hiring on the website side, at least the LA people, we're all going to be in the same building in the same vicinity. And you know, the, the goal is to build something of a creative hub that branches out in a bunch of different directions. You're talking linear TV, digital TV, podcasts, writing, social, branded content, scripted, non-scripted, everything. Uh, I, I think we have a chance to pull that off. And hopefully my HBO show um, will be good enough to be the face of, of that entire enterprise. It's, it's a remarkable opportunity for me. HBO does not give out that many shows um, you know, it's a little daunting, but it's also awesome. And, you know, I I realize fully that it's 
I, I'm extremely fortunate to have all these chances. And also, like, you know, me and ESPN obviously didn't end well. And it's fun to take shots at them from time to time. But, you know, none of this happens if if a long time ago people like John Skipper and John Walsh didn't take a chance on me. And I got some great opportunities to do some great stuff with them, from especially from 2009 to 2013. It was a really great place to work. And in the last two years, it wasn't. But that doesn't mean that uh, that I don't value a lot of the times that we had there and a lot of the stuff we did. And I wish it wasn't so petty now. Um, and maybe that'll change down the road. But, you know, I do think there there were some great people that I met along the way at ESPN. And that really helped shape the way that I'm thinking about all this stuff. So this isn't like, a, you know, for me, it's like this is just the evolution of where everything was going. And uh, I have really high hopes for The Ringer. So you can help us out by going to theringer.com. You can sign up for the newsletter and get our stuff. You can start following us on Twitter. It's at Ringer. And you can start following us on Facebook as well. And we look forward to the next few months and hopefully years and seeing where this goes. This is great. I love, this is, for me, this is the best part. The unknown, trying to build stuff, trying to figure out who to work with trying to create stuff from scratch, trying to innovate, spitballing in meetings. Like I've gone through this a few times now. Uh, at Jimmy's show, I went through it with 30 for 30. I went through it with Grantland. And now I'm going it, going through it now simultaneously with the HBO show and then all the other stuff we're doing on the, uh, on the ringer side. And, uh, you know, it's really, really, really fun, really exhilarating. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think when you have the chance to create something that leaves an impact what's better than that so anyway theringer.com check it out all right we're going to call robert smigel in a second but first i want to talk about meundies.com home of the world's most comfortable underwear it's two times softer than cotton it's actually made out of a fabric called modal and uh, i've been wearing their underwear and their boxers really all the time you know what's nice? You know what's you know what's what else is liberating? Speaking of liberating, throwing out your old underwear. Because men hold on to their underwear way too long. I can't even tell you what my dad's underwear draw looks like. It, it's like it's like one of the scenes in seven. Um, I threw out all my old underwear. I adopted the MeUndies. Now I did this for, for selfish reasons because they sent me MeUndies. Um, but I loved wearing them and I love these, uh, the French Terry Tate. Am I wearing the jo the French Terry jogger pants right now? Yes, you are. Okay. You have a witness. Tate would never lie. Except, except when he says he's not mad at Cam Newton for choking in the Super Bowl. That's the only time Tate will lie when he doesn't want to talk about Cam Newton. But, um, Meandies has dozens of styles. They have limited edition, original prints. And right now they have a pretty good deal. You could save up to $8 per pair with a subscription. Uh, shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada. And if you go to MeUndies.com slash BS, you get 20% off your first order. should also mention, if you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free. No questions asked. Good company. I like them. MeUndies. Check it out. And now, without further ado, let's call Robert Smigel. Joining us today is... My friend Robert Smigel, who just did the Triumph Election Special. Is it Triumph's Election Special 2016? Is that the official title? Close enough. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. All the right. logo says has no S, but all right, you know, it's, it was all done in a hurry. No, it's great, and it's <laughs> it's on Hulu. And uh -huh. I like Hulu. I recommend Hulu, but uh, I really recommend this show. I thought it was fantastic. I actually thought Thanks. it was too good. I felt like... It was 85 minutes, and I felt like I would have been totally happy with 40, and you right. and you gave me so right. much content and so many laughs. But I have uh, I told I you I didn't know what to do with the content. I was we shot we shot uh, like 18 remotes in two and a half weeks. There's other stuff that didn't make it, and I just figured people aren't going to watch this thing from start to finish. And so I put a couple of things that I thought were a little extraneous at the end. Yeah. Even though, like the Hulu people, it was their favorite sketch was the one where uh, Triumph pretends that he's Chris Christie's, he's part of Chris Christie's advance team. 
right. and just makes a thousand fat jokes in prepping prepping a diner for a Chris Christie meet and greet. <laughs> so um, I watched, I told you, I watched like the first 35 minutes and then I watched right. the rest of it last night. And yeah. as I was watching it, my son came over, who's eight, uh-huh. and he's like, what's this? And it was right <laughs> as the microaggression uh, college student oh, things were starting. Oh, not a good one for your kid. Oh, no. He loved oh, it. No? He he, lo- he absolutely loved it. He was laughing. He just like, la- he didn't understand why the puppet was talking. He thought, he thought the puppet was real. Um, he loved, oh, no. and, and so he watched the rest the of it. And I haven't heard him laugh. I I don't think he understood half the jokes, but he was laughing. But when you reinforce Chris Christie's toilet seat, right? He he almost died. Like he rolled <laughs> off the couch. That's the one I can show my kid. Yes, that's the bit I can show my kid. The reinforced toilet seat hit every yeah. ounce of his funny bone. But uh, I thought so. <laughs> Sadly, mine too. That was my favorite bit. So we're stuffing the toilet with uh, chickens <laughs> to simulate. Yeah, whole whole big winner. So you shoot this thing. You're you're basically on the campaign trail with yeah. all the candidates. You could not have picked a better election to do this. Yeah, I was, had to jump in. Couldn't you, couldn't not do it this time. You had uh, uh, yeah. You had bet you 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 had Ted Cruz there. You had a whole bit with him. You had the Christie thing we yeah. just mentioned. You had Mike Huckabee, who hadn't dropped out yet, and no. he was the most willing participant of anyone you had. Yes. and it's well, it's he painful, had, you know. As Triumph would say, he had about he had nothing to lose. <laughs> right, <laughs> he had about fifty votes. Uh, Thirty-five of them were the Duger family. Right, so he uh, he was uh, a willing. You know, it was very funny because um, I happened upon him, sort of. Like we, I wasn't supposed to see him one morning. We were at the Tea Party convention, and then I read, you know, we were following the schedule, and it says there's a Huckabee huddle in South, in South Carolina, and it's a pancake breakfast. And I was like, well, Mike Huckabee at a pancake breakfast, we got to see if we can get in there because it's just inherently funny yeah. on account of he's fat. And then, so the guy who was his campaign manager, uh, his digital, uh, head of digital, uh, Hogan, was his name, and he recognized me, and I was shocked. He recognized me and wouldn't let me shoot, (laughs) but said he was a fan of Triumph, and do you want to meet the governor afterward? And And we struck a conversation, and I told him we had some funny ideas for candidates that we would like to pitch. And, and so I got to meet Huckabee afterward, and uh, and I pitched him a few of these ideas, and uh, and he went for it. And, um, you know, that's one of my favorite pieces because I just can't believe some of the things he let me say to him, you know, just mocking, uh, you know, his, his kind of, uh, you know, saying stuff like, you know, you have to take this seriously. It's not the... Like you would a pie eating contest, yeah, right? Right. You know, this isn't something you can just uh, laugh off some nonsense like evolution <laughs> or logical reasoning, <laughs> right? And and he uh, just he just went with it. I he didn't have he a just choice. Went with it. Sorry, he didn't have a choice. This, this he didn't is... have a choice, but he did have a choice in terms of like what jokes he was willing to say. Because the, the piece is, it was uh, a brilliant writer, Rob Freed, came up with this premise that. Triumph was going to prep uh, a candidate for the debate, uh, you know, and it was it was really like the heart of the whole uh, show was this idea that Triumph is jumping in because Donald Trump has made Triumph's behavior valid, <laughs> right. you know, and that suddenly being an insult comic is is actually appropriate and uh, and what needs to be done and. Uh, it had just taken it, the fact that it had gotten to this point was why I, you know, really felt because like there was a Wall Street Journal article last fall calling him Trump the insult comic dog, and it just became apparent that that I had to do this. And uh, but Huckabee, so like I would give jokes to Huckabee as triumph. You know, he would answer a question, and I would say, "No, you've got to hurt somebody. You know, you have to say things meanly." And so there's like one. It happens like within 20 seconds. Uh, Triumph reads him a Rick Santorum joke, which is incredibly crude. And Huckabee's like, I don't want to read that. Well, okay, how about a Fiorina joke? And then he reads 
what I consider so much more offensive. He reads a joke about Carly Fiorina is 61 years old, which in dog years is 61 years old. Right. And the audience actually groaned. Like, there are jokes you just can't do anymore. But it was just funny to me what Huckabee was, you know, it's, it's classic. It's always that way. People get hung up on words and, um, you know, that's the way it's always been at SNL, at Conan, when I've had to deal with the standards people. They always get hung up on the specifics and not the ideas, which are sometimes way more offensive. Well, I, my favorite, I mean, I, I love the whole show. I really, I really laughed Thank Thank so, so many times. I rarely laugh when I watch TV anymore, too. I feel like this grizzled right. seasoned comedy veteran that just can't, you can't get a reaction out of me. And this one just hits my funny bone. But you had this, you had this bit where you went to the University of New Hampshire. Yes. And, yeah. uh. And you met with all these college students, and the whole topic was microaggression and what you can say and not say. And right, um, it's, we picked this university, New Hampshire, because they had actually at one point come out with a what they called a bias-free language guide, right? Which described words like American as inappropriate because it's offensive to South America, uh, <laughs> right. and you know the word poor is inappropriate. I mean, some of this stuff, I'm sure will prove right down the line, but it's pretty extreme. And the school itself has kind of divorced itself from the, from the bias free language guide at this point. But, um, but yeah, there's, you know, this is something that like has just sort of come to the forefront in the last year. And, and I was, even though it was off the, it, it wasn't part of the election. I just really wanted to do it. Uh, it was really important to me to do that one. And also, there were so many Republican candidates in the race that this, the thing was really, I, like, anything I could do to make fun of liberals was like, please, please throw it my way. I actually thought um, it I thought it made sense in the context of the special. And yeah. it also illuminated for me, you know, whatever's happening in society with how skittish everybody is about everything at this point. Yeah. And there's no laughter in anything and everybody's so super right. serious and afraid to offend anyone. And everyone's apologizing all the time. And yet because it's also like, it's an industry in itself. Outrage has just become an yeah. industry. And that, and that's been going on for years and years, but yeah. in the last, I would say 18 to 24 months, it's just gone yeah. up seven levels. And what's funny is yeah. roasts, and triumph, and I think Howard Stern to some degree, and there's just a couple people who have become exempt. But if you watch yeah. this, if you watch that microaggression thing, like it's super uncomfortable in a good way. It's really funny, and you're handing out na name tags to these people. You didn't even you didn't even sh tell what all the name tags were, but then when you were showing people later, you could see them. You like, could see. <laughs> right? One guy was JV Drake, uh, but. Yes. But uh, I was actually disappointed that we didn't do a close up of that one because it would have <laughs> would have gotten a huge laugh. You could see it though. Uh, yeah. But these kids, they were so kind of. I I just didn't know where it was going. I've never seen anything quite like that. I didn't know there was one kid in right. the front row, a, a guy who looked like he was going to just start punching Triumph at all times. Was and, that the heavy kid? In the yeah, middle? the heavier kid. Yeah, he yeah, just seemed he, so angry. I know. You know, it was weird because. Uh, and and the only thing that's a bummer about that piece is that like I go on YouTube and see comments and people are just some of the people are just tearing into these kids. Oh you know, no! Calling them beta males and you know pussies and you know spoiled. I mean every everything everything people have been sort of thinking about these kids being protected and uh, you know entitled all that stuff. It's just you know they're just tossing these uh they're just tossing it all on these kids and in fairness like i think the kids i met the kids before we did the bit you know i hadn't you know i took about 10 minutes to talk to the kids because some of them didn't even know who triumph was i mean you know triumph hasn't been on network tv in like six years right so you know not everybody watches tbs regularly who's like 19 years old so some of them didn't know who triumph was some did they knew that 
the whole thing was a goof on some level. And they asked, some of them asked me, like, well, how should we act? I mean, they were all, you know, you know, we picked kids who at least most of them were kind of, you know, supportive of all these ideas. And I said, well, if you believe in these ideas, then, you know, don't run away from that. Act like, uh, act like you believe in them. But I think some of the kids maybe tried a little extra hard to maintain, you know, their principles or, or, or at least have the appearance of doing that. Like they, some kids, I think were trying not to laugh on purpose and I couldn't tell afterward, like, okay, has this made it way too uncomfortable? And the writers thought they liked it better this way. They yeah. were happy that the kids weren't playing along that much. No, it added but, a little know, edge to it. Yeah. I thought it yeah, was really effective. No, I mean, I'm not used to that. I mean, usually when I do triumph, I always ask people in advance, uh, is it okay for me to talk? Like everything else I did, I, I went up to people and said, is this all right? you mind talking to this dog? And, uh, and um, you know, most of the time people do laugh along. And I think this and the Michael Jackson trial were the two most uncomfortable <laughs> bits I've ever done with Triumph you've, in terms of people's reaction. Triumph's never gotten punched, right? There was one guy <laughs> never... I, I was never hurt. I mean, there was one guy I remember in 2004. We actually got some money to uh, to shoot a. a There's the only other time I've ever attempted anything remotely like this in 2004, which was another very funny election it, because the country was so polarized. It was uh, Bush and Kerry, and I started the project in the summer during the convention. And we shot a week at the Democratic convention. And there was one guy who was, um, you know, we were just walking through Boston. That was a <laughs> Are you surprised that I might have gotten punched in Boston? No, that would have been my first draft pick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Boston convention. And we were just, I was walking, making my way through uh, the streets leading away from the uh, convention center and uh, interacting with some of the some of the there were protesters there, and there were a lot of uh, just uh, people dressed up in goofy outfits. And one guy on the way out, on the way in one direction, I, I come I come across this guy, and he's making cracks about Conan and Jay Leno. This is 2004. He's just this cheerful guy making jokes, and uh, then I go away, do a bunch of bits with protesters, and come back, and I'm making my way back to the back to the arena i guess it was the fleet center at the time and uh and now the guy i come up to him again and i say something and now he immediately starts swinging at me he obviously had like seven beers uh -oh. in the in the interim in the 45 minute interim swinging at you and or triumph Swinging at me, I made some crack at him, and I got just a little too close to his face. He's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately calms down and starts apologizing. <laughs> do you do you worry about where comedy's going? Because like, one of the things I watched, or one of the things that occurred to me as I was watching Triumph, yeah. was part of comedy is saying something you, you shouldn't say. That's what makes it funny. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. ooh, you said that. Or, oh, right. ooh, you went there. Right. And now everyone's afraid to go anywhere. So what happens to comedy? What yeah. if, if I'm under 25 right now, how, how am I supposed to think? <laughs> it is a complicated question. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing entirely. Like, Bill, here's something that uh, you'll find interesting. So, like, the most famous thing Triumph ever did, probably, besides getting in trouble with Eminem was he went to uh, the Star Wars opening in 2002, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the uh, Attack of the Clones. And everybody who likes Triumph always quotes this to me and, uh, you know, makes fun of the nerds. So there's one scene in that where Triumph uh, brings out Mr. Spock <laughs> And Mr. Spock just silently walks past the line and gives everyone the finger. Just doesn't say a word. I don't even remember what spawned, what motivated the moment, but it's a really funny moment in the piece toward the end. Yeah. And so 
we taped this a couple of ways. And one version, he's holding up a sign that says fags and still walking silently with the grim face. And it was really making us laugh because it's just Mr. Smock holding up this crude, you know, epithet. Right. And that's the one we used when we screened it the night before. And it killed with the audience. And here I go again. The, uh, the standards people had no notes about that. They couldn't have cared less about the word fags back then. People didn't look at it the same way. People weren't enlightened. They didn't think of it as a, you know, they, they, they thought faggot was a bad word, but they didn't think that was a bad word. Right. Necessarily. And um, so then, you know, everybody, we go back up to the writer's room and, you know, everybody's thrilled about the piece. But then, then somebody comes up to us and says, uh, you know, some of the interns were kind of bummed just about the, uh, just about the sign that said fags. Mm. And we were just puzzled. We were like, huh? Fags isn't faggot. It's, it's sort of its own thing now, isn't it? And that's how everybody thought back then. And, uh, yeah, but I don't know. This is how they felt. And fortunately, we have this other take with the finger. And we decided, well, let's not, you know, we just decided to listen to them and replaced it with the finger. And, you know, here is 12 years later. Could you imagine if that, that there's no way anyone would laugh if that sign was held up now? Yeah, I was thinking and about, like, the, you know, Eddie Murphy, his Delirious concert. Was yeah, like, it was basically. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was probably one of the seminal entertainment moments of my entire childhood right. and puberty and right. hilarious. I knew every single line. Yeah. And, uh, and if you watch the first 10 minutes now, it's staggering. Yeah. It, it is the most homophobic, awful first 10 minutes you ever watch. And right. in 1982 or 1983, didn't nobody cared. No, it was like, Oh, this is hilarious. Mr. T. And that's my point. Yeah. That's my point. It's like, we have no idea right now what might genuinely be offensive to everybody in 15 years. And yeah. so I feel obligated to, you know, not to write that shit off and to listen. And, you know, if people are going to complain, oh, fuck, I can't make gay jokes anymore. Well, find something else to make fun of. You know, Triumph made a lot. Of, <laughs> believe me, Triumph made plenty of gay jokes over the years. And, uh, you know, I barely do anymore. Uh, and that's fine. Just I mean, that, find, like you go back. Yeah, you go back and you watch any roast basically from before 2010. And yeah. 27% of the jokes are about somebody being gay or somebody wanting to have sex with another man. And that's it. Right. So that's right. just, it was just a staple. It was like the number one go-to joke. Um, <laughs> exactly. And there were jokes that were, I remember having a conversation with Scott Thompson about this in the 90s. Like Guys like Letterman, who's obviously my hero and would never do a crude joke, but he would do things like, Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Rather and I want to have an announcement. We're in love. We're getting married. Yeah. And it would get a huge ironic applause and laugh. And I remember talking to Scott about it and like, isn't he we're kind of having it both ways, aren't we? We're kind of pretending we're we're uh tolerant, but at the same time we're laughing because it's haha, this is deviant behavior, <laughs> you know. But um you know, in fairness, the idea of David Letterman and Dan Rather, you know, I guess, I guess you could say, well, they're just, you know, right. they're just stuffy old white guys. So it is funny to imagine them. There's something about, it, it <laughs> seems like the one window for, and, and Stern, I think has achieved this when, yeah. when just everybody's fair game and you, yeah. you just knock, you, you just not going to spare anybody. Um, which is, I think, one of the reasons Triumph works. Although I think, yes. as you just pointed out, the lines are a little different now, and and they yeah, should and be they should be different. That, by the way, I think there are jokes that Stern won't make now that he would have made twenty yeah. years ago. You know, and and Stern goes out of his way to kind of, uh, you know, make it a point to to you know express his tolerance for all kinds of people, and uh, you know, he's he, his act has definitely changed. Uh, on some level. And I just feel like, uh, you know, you have to at least listen to 
what people, what younger people are saying. I mean, the flip side of this is there's a lot of progress. I mean, would you rather these kids were, you know, uh, racist? And uh, I mean, I do feel like every generation gets less and less racist, and and that's a great thing. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, and way more tolerant. Yeah, way more tolerant, and I feel like, um, you know. It's just, it's very easy to, you know, it's very glib to just write everything off as being politically correct, you know, as opposed to just calling it progress. <laughs> right. So, um, sorry. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about progress at the same time you hear my, uh, my ringer play uh, Last Train to Clarksville. <laughs> I <enjoyed> it. <laughs> well, it, it's definitely better now. And I do think that it feels like we've gone through three stages, right? Where stage one was basically, we'll say anything, who cares if somebody gets hurt? Then the second stage was, wait, your feelings are hurt by that? Just complete surprise. Oh, should I readjust the lines? And now we're in stage three, which is the right stage to be, which is, what can I say? Where are the lines? How far can I go? How far can I push? But really... The ultimate goal is you don't want to you don't want to hurt anybody. And you don't. But I mean, there are times when people are too sensitive. I still think. true. I mean, like, look at that. Uh, so I left it in on purpose in the Democratic debate. I make a joke about Hillary and her cankles. Yeah. Pretty crass thing to do. But, uh, yes. you know, but it was <laughs> I like the joke. Sometimes I'll I'll break my own rules if the joke is funny and, and ridiculous enough. But then this girl approaches Triumph and says it's sexist, make fun of it, you know, and then later in the piece there's a joke about Hillary's hair. Does she go to, you know, does she show her Siegfried hair dress? Or Roy. <laughs> a picture of Siegfried or Roy. And, Hilarious. Know, yeah, but it's like, come on, you're just, you're just trying to be outraged now. Donald Trump's hair hasn't been made fun of, and there's meanwhile like a thousand jokes about other people's physical appearance in that in that special that you know people who aren't men. So, well, it's it's going to be a fascinating next five years for comedy, and I don't know where it's going. But I thought what yeah. I liked is, you know, you're on Hulu, so you yeah. you have a little more. If that's on NBC, I think it's a little different level of leeway and not as not as good for Triumph. Yeah, I would think so. Although yeah. late night, I really had, I mean, I, when things are on late night, you get a shocking amount of leeway. And and stuff that's on SNL now. Oh, my God. I mean, it's insane compared to, like, when I was a writer there. Could you? What I would have been allowed to do. If you trotted out the ambiguously gay duo in 2016, is there a backlash? Um, it might be different. I mean, I, I always thought of that as, uh, you know, the... The reason I always uh, enjoyed writing that was because I thought that sketch was about primarily about everyone's obsession with each other's sexuality, right? And how you know people who think of themselves as sophisticated and uh, progressive could be reduced to giggling teenagers when speculating on whether Tom Cruise is gay or you know whichever celebrity of the moment, and. Um, so that's what, you know, to me, the whole the whole piece was written around the shot of the bad guys looking at each other when Ace and Gary would do something Egghead. that looked a little gay. Right. Yeah, yeah, Bigfoot. What big, are you guys looking at? Big head, yeah. Yeah, big head. Yeah, so to me, that was entirely defensible for that reason. And then secondarily, it was sort of about, and this joke's been made a thousand times, but it's still funny, just the, you know, the, uh, the thin line between... Uh, aggressive male behavior and homoeroticism, which, you know, just almost any Stallone and Schwarzenegger movie in the eighties, uh, <laughs> undercuts that. Tango or, and Cash. Or supports that theory. Yeah. Sorry. Tango, Tango and Cash. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's probably the, the number one, but <laughs> I think it would be fine because I think you're right. I think it was, you're making fun of something that wasn't what it seems like you were making fun of. Yeah. But at the same time, I still think in 2016, if you release that for the first time, there is probably a small element. Like, what is this? And Yeah, there could be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and also I do think, again, like this next generation, they don't give a shit. 
to the same degree over who's gay and who isn't. No, definitely you know? not. They definitely don't care. That's the flip side of the stuff people complain about. Like, okay, but now they have these, you know, I have a nephew who goes to a school where there's a movement to have, um, you know, to, to get rid of he and she and use the, the, the term Z. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that kind of stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's all about um, balance, and, and, and that's my point. It's like it's not all bad, you know, this stuff. Well, it's, it's going to be all bad. from a good place. Comes from a good place. It's going to be all bad if we don't come up with a decent person to be the next president of the United States. That could well, be a problem. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, I mean, uh, I'm supposed to stay apolitical, mm, but yeah, I don't no, think stay apolitical. I, no, it's, it's, <laughs> we, we should both stay apolitical. But yeah, it, it, is, so. it is, it is, it's, it, these are scary times, though. So you can get, uh, you can get the Triumph special on Hulu. Um, Triumph special, yeah, I think it's still free. Actually, I think they're oh, still putting it out there on the web for free right now. It's a million percent free, and if you can't find it, oh. all these streaming sites, it's really hard to find stuff. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is just search at the top. Just search for Triumph, and uh, it's really hilarious. I really loved it, and that was the main reason. Other than to just talk to you on the pod and and say hello oh. and check in with you, I really I wanted more people to know about the special because I thought you did a great job of it. Me too. Um, it's not really uh, there aren't a lot of ads for it, so I really appreciate your uh, you're getting it out there. This is the first thing I've done, I think, as as my own project that's gotten uh, really great reviews. Everything else gets good reviews like ten years later. No, this is good right now. Well, here's the other yeah. one last thing, and then we'll go. Um, sure. I was amazed that you did all of this in six weeks. Me too. Um, I told tape- the guy at Hulu. I told the guy who hired us. Uh, this may suck. This, this is high risk, high reward. It could be a disaster because I've never, like, I've always been a control freak who, like, carefully polishes these triumph remotes. Basically, each one takes two weeks. We write jokes, then we go and we shoot it, and then I'm sitting in the edit room for like four days or something. And this time we shot like literally 15 or 18 within within two and a half weeks. It was just suicide mission on on one hand i thought and but fortunately you know we had a lot of good material i worked with some incredible writers and uh who helped a lot i mean i i depended on them more than ever because yeah you know i'm literally producing the whole thing and like just you shoot something then you're just trying to prepare for the next one as best you can within like you know I basically would fall asleep to the laptop every night on the road, basically get like three hours of sleep. Did uh, you did you worry that, because, you know, you're older now, did you worry that you yeah. would have the energy slash stamina slash uh, juice <laughs> to, to make it through these six weeks? Because I'm in my mid-40s now, and I'm, yeah. I'm already feeling it. You know, it's just you, you get older, fear you're a little different. No, I know. No, it's like uh, adrenaline keeps you going, and... And like I said, I had a lot of support, had had great writers that made it easier. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's 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 the adrenaline, the, co- the combination of this has to be funny, and uh, I might get thrown out. <laughs> right, I might get beaten up. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, so check it out, Hulu. Just if you can't find it on the main page, just search for Triumph. It's awesome. It's hilarious. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and it was great talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. You too, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Hey, congrats on the website. Thanks, man. Appreciate (laughs) it. All right. Before we call Jacko to talk about uh, the latest in the crazy 2016 election, I wanted to talk about Simply Safe. Uh, Just a couple days ago, at like 4.30 in the morning, my car alarm went off. I think because a cat jumped on it. Um, And it's really scary when you hear an alarm going off and you don't feel safe and I'm grabbing for my glasses and knock knock the glasses off, they fall to the floor and I'm just freaking out and then it turns out everything's fine. But it made me think how there's no worse feeling in the world than feeling like you're not safe, which is why uh, I'm so happy to have Simply Safe because you know, you see all these ads from home security companies, they say free. Free system, million dollar value, free everything. Uh, usually 
when they say that stuff, there's a huge contract attached. There's three years, thousands of dollars you're locked in. That's why I like Simply Safe because not only is it a better way to protect your home, not only is it a home security that I trust, but they have no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, and none of that other bad stuff. You get 24-7 professional monitoring. Someone is always there to call the police. It's lightning fast, and it's absurdly easy to use. And the best part, if you want monitoring, it's just $15 per month. Some of the other guys are charging three times that. So go to simplysafebill.com. You can get my exclusive 10% discount. That is simplysafebill.com. Complex litigation. This is John. Johnny. What's up, Willie? How are you? America. <laughs> America's worried about you. Actually, and we're worried about America. Yeah, America should be worried about America, really. Yeah. It's really what's, what's glaringly obvious here. Why did you kill Judge Scalia? I thought that was terrible. <laughs> you went to Texas, you smothered him with a pillow. That was awful. No, believe me, if I was going to kill anybody, he he wouldn't even be like in the top million people I have on my list. So, do you? We we should mention we went to uh, college with Judge Scalia's son. That's right. He uh, Judge Scalia came and gave a great speech at Holy Cross once. This is way yep. back. We're going early '90s, and then he was right. at our graduation. He was right there, sitting in the front row as we marched out. I know. So I always felt. Uh, a weird tie to him, even as uh, his politics unfolded, and I agreed with a lot, of, uh, disagreed with a lot of it. Um, yeah, I but, obviously agreed with him and, and loved him. I didn't, I, I didn't really know his son that well. We kind of got to know him a little bit later nice in the year through mutual friends. But yeah, he became a he became a priest eventually. He did. He yeah. he was going to the seminary after Holy Cross. So something yeah. tells me that he was not really running in the same circles as you and I, probably. Nah. <laughs> Someone who entered the priesthood. We may have had different areas that we hung out in, just going out on a limb. Yeah, I don't remember drunkenly stumbling home from uh, Carroll Street with Judge Scalia's son at no. any point. Um, no. But, uh, yeah, crazy times. The uh, When's the next debate? Or when I'm the uh, next... next uh, <laughs> the primary next in South primary. Carolina. Yeah, yeah next primary. A, I'm pretty sure it's on Saturday. Saturday, okay. I think so. So uh, give us, what, what's your take right now on where things are going and what's going to happen and who's the favorite and all this stuff? Hold on, let me just open the window and step out on the ledge before I do that. <laughs> okay, hold on, we'll give you a second. <laughs> um, well, I mean, unquestionably, uh, Trump is the front runner. I mean, you know, polls come out, he's like at 39, 40% nationally. And, you know, Rubio and Cruz are kind of nip and tuck for second nationally behind him. And I think those are those numbers hold up in South Carolina where, where Trump is kind of running away with it. And um, Rubio and, and Cruz are right behind. <laughs> Poor Jeb Bush is and Ben Carson Kasich. Kasich was never really ever going to play in South Carolina, given his moderate positions. It's not going to go over well in South Carolina. So he's not really even contesting there. But, you know, Bush and Carson are dragging behind. And, you know, when not only is Trump have appeal for some unbeknownst reason, but when you have a field with this many people, his numbers are even more exaggerated because, you know, if it came down to him against somebody else, he arguably could lose then. But until that happens, he, he there's no sign of slowing him down, unfortunately. So after South Carolina, does do more people drop out? Well, I would hope so. I mean, I don't really see why Ben Carson is still sticking around at this point. I think he's in it sort of to build donor lists to sell future speeches or books or something. But he doesn't really have any plausible path to victory at this point. And, you know, Jeb Bush has a you know billion dollars to spend, but nobody is nobody at all is interested in Jeb Bush. So he doesn't quite see the handwriting on the wall yet. It'll be interesting to see if he comes in like a distant fourth in South Carolina what is his rationale for continuing? I mean, they have this, what they call the SEC primary coming up in March, which is all these, you know, Southern states like the SEC conference, obviously. So, um, you know, he, but but if you can't, you know, the Bush family is very popular in South Carolina. George Bush beat John McCain back there in 2000. Um, you know, George Bush Sr. did well there going way back. So if Jeb Bush can't play in South Carolina, I'd would hope that he would some wake up and say, "What what am I doing this for?" Like it's just it's just not happening for me, unfortunately. Well, we had Chris Christie drop out, but yeah, but he did have one moment. He had his yeah. Lloyd, he had his Lloyd Benson Dan Quayle moment with uh, 
with Rubio that at least he can hang his hat on a little bit. Yeah, he was basically like a suicide bomber. He took out himself and, and Rubio all in like one fell swoop at the debate. So it's like a kamikaze pilot. Uh, great, great job, Chris Christie. Um, so yeah, he, he really bloodied up poor Rubio, who got dinged up in New Hampshire and was sort of on the ascent. And that that definitely staggered him. And, you know, now here we are. So, um, you know, Rubio had a good debate last weekend and bounced back and he does very well nationally in polls and he's got all these endorsements of, you know, senators and real conservatives and what have you. But I mean, Trump just, Trump just trumps him basically. So it's, it's completely inexplicable and, and devastatingly depressing. What about, uh, Kasich's strategy of just throwing away South Carolina and going to Michigan? It reminds me a little of Greg Popovich when Greg Popovich will throw away the Wednesday night game in Orlando because they're playing golden state the next night. Yeah, that's sort of his plan, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. Kasich is appealing to a Republican that doesn't really exist anymore, like a Rockefeller Republican of being sort of a Democrat light and figuring I'm from Ohio and Republicans need Ohio and my my militant moderate moderation will appeal to crossover voters. That's all well and good, but you got to win a Republican primary. This Republican primary electorate is not looking for moderation in any way, shape, or form. So it's just not his time, and it probably hasn't been his time in the Republican Party since about 1976. So he can hope for the Midwest to come through for him, but he has no plausible path to victory either. I like and what everybody whole... is basically battling for is to be the the mainstream, quote unquote, mainstream establishment candidate, and it, it's basically between Kasich, Rubio, and Bush. Although Rubio, except for immigration, is is very conservative, but um, and that's a big except for. But um, everybody's hoping to be the establishment choice, and then you know a lot of money and establishment power, such as it is, gets behind that person, and they become the anti-Trump. But the, the, while the three of them are still battling for that. You know, they're siphoning off votes that could go to that one person. Kasich, he does the the thing, which I think is a really good lane for him. Like Chris Christie tried to own the lane of this country's in, in it, we're in threats all the or we're in fear all the time and we yeah. have no protection and we should all be like he did that whole thing. And now Kasich is doing the everybody else is so negative. I'm trying to stay positive, man. I'm just trying yeah. not to get any of this stink on me. Right. And that's, that's all well and good, but if you look at who's leading in the polls, basically you have Bernie Sanders <laughs> that basically wants to burn down Wall Street, and Donald Trump that has you know spews nothing but hate and ridiculousness. Yeah. And people are like, yes, more of this, burn everything down, destroy it, like you know, the villagers in Frankenstein with pitchforks and torches. So John Kasich's like, let's all get along and do things and love everybody. Everybody's like, burn him first. <laughs> We, need, we really need him as a football commissioner, not as a president. Yeah, exactly. He should, he yeah. should really be lobbying to replace Roger Goodell. Yeah. Guys, I just I want know. to get There's along. There's a lot about him I don't like. but Wow, he's he's found his groove, and that groove isn't going to win him the election. <laughs> no, no. But it's a groove. It's a groove nonetheless. Yeah, he's found it. God love him. He's going to be the president of New Hampshire, so he's got that going for him. They they really love that. So President of New Hampshire, I like that. Yeah, he came in second in the primary, and that's really like no, the I only know. place that he could do anything. So I think he's probably has his eyes set on a possible VP thing. Would be a long game for him. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there was some talk that I saw on on the internet a while a couple of weeks ago about you know Trump saying something about well maybe he'd pick Kasich or something and. You know, or the, the the brief thought that went through Trump's brain for two milliseconds, and he had to feel a need to tweet it out or express it somewhere. You know, Kasich would at least would show that there'd be somebody that had a clue about how the government works. But I'm not sure that that would ever really happen. So, if Trump got the nomination, the the VP possibilities for him are all oh, in the t- they're all in the Tyson zone. Like you could tell me his VP is going to be literally Mike Tyson. Probably. Yeah, Mike Tyson's in there. <laughs> You could tell me Dana White or Mark Cuban are oh, the yeah. leading candidates to be his VP. I'd be like, I believe it. Hulk Hogan, anything's possible. I don't know about Somebody Hulk Hogan. Somebody from The Apprentice, <laughs> Hulk I don't know anything. Hulk Hogan might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. He's not He's not really that much more controversial than Trump. Oh, my God. I, I don't I don't understand any of this. I, I don't it, understand it Is either. it too late for Adam Silver to get involved? 
<laughs> Adam Silver, yet again, the, the NBA has never been better, and they just had their best All-Star Saturday they've ever had, and I think he's ready for a larger platform. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Silver and Stern? Adam Silver, David Stern? Stern is the VP? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's some talk that if it's, you know, Nate Silver, I think, your old buddy there, he had something on Twitter yesterday I saw or on his website, and it said basically that if the nominees are Trump and Hillary, that instead of Michael Bloomberg running third party, that a better option, according to polling, would be if Romney then threw his hat in the ring as a third party candidate. And and then Republicans, the 60 percent of Republicans or 65 percent of Republicans that hate Trump would go there. And there may be some disaffected Democrats that don't love Hillary, and if enough Bernie voters stayed home, then you know Romney comes in as a third-party candidate and wins. But that's very difficult to do. It takes a lot of money to get on the 50 ballots, 50 states. I guess Romney, that's not really an issue for him, but it requires a big effort, so I, I don't know. That's just sort of out in the realm of fantasy, I think, but There's... it's something to keep me from crying myself to sleep at night, at least. So There's no chance if Trump lost the Republican um, spot that he would then go third-party? Is that even oh, doable? there's an excellent chance, okay. but the problem is is that it's really hard, apparently, from what I've, I've read, it's hard to get on all 50 state ballots, and it requires a lot of money, and you need to have a lot of organization, because I think you have to go out and get a lot of petitions signed and what have you. And I'm not sure Trump, while the money might not be an issue, I don't know that he has the organization to do that or the wherewithal to you know organize this number of volunteers to do all that, so it would really require like a big effort to do that. And he, you know, if he did that, he's just electing a Democrat. Unless we have some crazy, like European-style thing where we have like five candidates. You know, Hillary runs, Bernie runs as a socialist, and Bloomberg runs, and then you know, Rubio is a Republican, and Trump. Then it's just a free-for-all. God only knows. It feels like it's already a free-for-all. Yeah, exactly. With everything else that's gone on, gone on this election, it wouldn't surprise me to see something completely insane. So maybe just everything's going insane. I mean, the NFL's insane. Yeah, everything is. It's, maybe just everything's know. going nuts. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe we're like just Kanye West. You know, he's tweeting out that he needs fifty-three million dollars and yeah. all kinds of gibberish, and just goes after America's sweetheart Taylor Swift. It's, it could be the end times. I don't know. <laughs> How dare he go? You don't go after Taylor Swift. That's right. It's America's sweetheart. I I uh, I've really enjoyed Kanye's last nine ten days. <laughs> he's he's re- really quite something. I think he's been phenomenal. Are you watching the OJ show? I've been I've been DVRing it, but I have not watched any of it yet. But that that couldn't be any more up my alley. So I'm excited to watch it. I don't understand how you are. You're really in a funk now. I'm worried about you that you're not watching the OJ show. I don't understand what's going on with you. I tried to get my wife to watch it. I'm like, hey, DVR this OJ show. She was like, meh. So I may have to watch it by myself. She didn't really seem as gung ho for OJ as I was. So yeah, it was disappointing. But yeah, I don't know. I just. I just spend a lot of time alone with my thoughts these days. <laughs> we should have a great my book. thoughts in a bottle of gin. No, I'm just kidding. But no, you're not no, really I did kidding. DVR it. I am going to watch it, but I haven't yet. At least you have a great bullpen. That's it. That's all I got going for me. I just look up at my posters of Andrew Miller and Batances and Araldis Chapman. So I saw something today where it said Araldis Chapman may be the best athlete in Major League Baseball. I didn't read the story because I was too excited, but that was good. The best athlete? Yeah, better than yeah. Mike Trout. <laughs> that's what this. That's what some something I breezed over on the internet said. Yeah, I just saw the headline. Hmm. Showed him like on one of those exercise balls planking or something. So that was good enough for me. I'm actually ready for this baseball season. I like the Red Sox team. I like the farm system, and uh, I even Keith Law had his annual. Um, yeah, the prospects thing. Yeah, like the top 50 in the major leagues, and the Red Sox had three of the top 20, not counting the guys who have already made the roster, like Mookie and the younger guys. But right. uh, it's it's a likable young team. I've always enjoyed David Price. I like having an ace. I feel like it's like having an ace, having a great goalie, having a good reliever, having somebody who can make free throws at the end of the game. There's certain things you just need in life for your own sanity. I'm glad yeah. David Price is on the Red Sox. And you got a one-year-older, one-year-fatter Pablo Sandoval still making $22 million a year, so that's good for you, too. So I don't know if he's fatter. I think he's just as fat. <laughs> well, that's, that's progress, I guess, then. That's I, something. I think he leveled off. 
And now you're going to try Hanley Ramirez at a new position that he's never played before, so that's exciting too. Is it is it called the disabled list? <laughs> oh, he's playing first this year. Uh, that'll last like five five games. <laughs> Somebody will clip him running by, and he'll be out for seven weeks oh, yeah. with a strained foot or something. Yeah, there's no question. There's a lot of things that can go wrong at first base, get stepped on, etc. Yeah, I think Eric, the pickoff throw. The most valuable lesson we learned from the Hanley Ramirez signing is that you shouldn't sign somebody who's a known head case on another team because you have two guys on your team who can help ground him. <laughs> that's, that's just a, if you're a head case, you're a head case. It doesn't yeah. matter like, oh, good. I was a head case, but now David Ortiz has the locker next to me and I'm I, I, I'm better. <laughs> I'm better his mentally student, now. It doesn't his matter. presence has gotten rid of, exercised the demons in my brain. Yeah, no, probably not. Are you uh, are you fired up for the David Ortiz farewell tour? Oh, so fired up, absolutely. Yeah, can't wait. It'll be tears in my eyes. Another dry eye in the house for old big poppy. Yeah, well, unlike unlike Jeter, he's actually still producing, so it'll, it'll have a little <laughs> more of, a little more oomph to it. <laughs> He's producing, all right. Yeah, Kobe his performance Jeter. is certainly enhanced. Oh. He's, been a real, he's been a real shot in the arm for that team. No Johnny, question about it. Stop it! Come on. <laughs> all right, so uh, we used to do Johnny. Are you worried yet about oh, yeah. about the Yankees? Way back when, I used to ask yeah. you how worried you are in a week. <laughs> we'll flip it this time, Johnny. How worried are you about the Republican Party? Uh, 160 on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> 160. Oh, and and climbing by the day, believe me. Oh my I'm more God. worried about the country because if we really have the prospect of a of a Trump-Sanders race, I mean, that's all she wrote, folks. Pack it up. It's ball game. Well, we're looking There's at not enough beachfront in Belize for us all to move there. We're looking at condos in Montreal and in Vancouver. We could <laughs> all live together. My family, your family. I'd rather go somewhere warm. I don't love the winter, but uh, whatever, whatever. We just have to get out, like Vietnam in '75. Like the helicopters on the roof. I'll go to Montreal, wherever. Just clinging to the ladder. <laughs> Chatty, right. uh, we'll check in with you later in the month. Excellent. Take All right. Care. Enjoy the rest of the week. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. That's it for the BS podcast. Thanks to Simply Safe, the only home security that I trust. You get 24-7 professional monitoring. It's just $15 a month. Some of the other guys are charging three times as much. Go to simplysafebuild.com and you get my exclusive 10% discount. Remember, any home security that says free usually has a huge contract attached, not Simply Safe. Again, simplysafebill.com. Thanks to HBO Now. You don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO Now app and you can start your free one-month trial today. Fast 7 is on HBO Now and it's also on HBO all the time. And thank God. Uh, I I might have to have a belated Fast 7 podcast. I've been watching it a lot. Anyway, thanks to uh, SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast and Channel 33. And thanks to everybody who helped with TheRinger.com. Go check it out. Subscribe to our newsletter right now. You won't regret it. It's free. We won't flood your inbox. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.